Hey, podcast listeners, before we get started, if the IRS is freaking you out right now and you want to do something about it, you can call me at 833-243-5455 and set up a free 30-minute consultation or log on to watkinspodcast.com. I've got a short letter on that No Frills page. It'll take you about 90 seconds to read. And if you like what I'm saying, you might want to consider becoming a client. And if not, hey, no big deal. Keep listening and subscribe to this podcast so you can keep hearing the free content on how you can fix your tax problem today. So if you owe the IRS, you may have noticed that they have been pretty active lately filing a bunch of liens. And this is the IRS's way of letting the world know that you have a tax problem. These liens are also pretty nasty if you're trying to sell your home or refi to a lower interest rate. It's a pretty extreme measure at the IRS, and it means they want all the money that you owe them, and they want it right now. But there are a few things you can do to get these things lifted short of paying everything that you owe right now. For example, if you owe less than $25,000, a tax professional may be able to get these lifted in about 90 days. If you owe more than $25,000, there are things like the IRS's Offer and Compromise Settlement Program that gets them off once they accept that. Now, we've helped thousands of taxpayers in an IRS mess, so we can probably help you out here too. We can help you out in all 50 states. So if you have a tax problem, I again encourage you to call me at 833-243-5455 or log on to watkinspodcast.com and set up a time there to talk to one of our tax experts about getting some help today. Now, back to your podcast. IRS problems are scary, but they don't have to be. Travis Watkins has been helping troubled taxpayers with customized plans to negotiate with the IRS and stop immediate threats to their livelihood so they can get a good night's sleep again since 1999. Now, here's Travis. All right, today we are talking about how do we find out what options that the IRS will accept. We've talked in previous days here about what your options could be, kind of the universe of your options. And kind of in a nutshell, those are uh, to either full pay it, uh, including penalties and interest, or ask them to pay it out in installments through an installment agreement. Uh, Ask them for a deal, that's the offer and compromise program. Um, bankruptcy is available in some situations, which are uh, way too complicated at this moment to go through, um, or to strategically do nothing. And note that I said strategically. In other words, don't just do nothing because uh, you don't want to take on the problem head on. But there are certain circumstances. Watch my previous video on that to uh get a little more insight on what those circumstances could be where you would strategically and not just uh, (laughs) uh, because you don't want to talk about it, uh, strategically do nothing. So today we're going to be talking about what, knowing what options of those, that universe of issues or of relief would, would be that the IRS might accept there. And this is a pretty important one, so it'll probably be over the course of a couple of different videos here. But this would be, I guess, part one of uh, knowing 
you know, what options the IRS might accept um, when you owe them some money. Um, I, I say kind of jokingly, the, the way to know what the IRS might accept comes down to knowing what's mine, uh, knowing what is what property and money is the taxpayers, and what's theirs. And I, I say theirs as in uh, T-H-E-I-R-S, you know, uh, no space between the and IRS in this one. Pretty funny, huh? Right? Um, anyway, it, it, it does come down to what is yours and what the IRS considers to be theirs uh, in a taxpayer's situation when they owe the IRS. So uh, the equation itself is, is pretty simple. It's not easy or fun, <laughs> but the IRS will take every bit of every unencumbered asset and every bit of what they call disposable income and not one penny less when you owe them some money and you go, with a, uh, go to them hat in hand and ask for some type of relief from them. And so what that comes down to is what is mine and what is theirs. And they think that everything that's not assigned to some expense uh, that is allowed by the IRS code is theirs. And, and, and that's, that's the equation. Um, so you, how do you figure out what's, what's yours and what's theirs? Well, it all comes down to this nifty little thing called an IRS collection information statement form. It's form 433, and there's several different types of form 433, but just real generally, it's gonna come down to uh, filling out a form 433 and determining uh, what things that you can spend on yourself, uh, keeping yourself and your family alive is really what they're looking at, and the difference between what they'll allow you to spend and, and what's left over, I guess, at the end of the month. And they want what's left over, the disposable income, uh, plus any assets that you don't owe some third party, for instance, by way of, let's say, for example, a mortgage um, on your home or on some piece of property. They want all that margin um, to apply it to what you owe them, all right? Uh, let me switch here real quick, and I'm gonna show you some things real generally on the IRS Form 433. Um, all right, so go to my uh, website. What do you know? It's already uh, <laughs> predictively uh, put into the URL, URL line there. Uh, this is my website, TravisWatkins.com. And we've got a bunch of different tabs up here. What we're looking for today is the Resources tab. And there's that little nifty screen there. Scroll down to Form 433A, it's about one, two, three, four, five, six 
documents down there. Form 433A, collection statement for wage earners and self-employed individuals. All collection alternative programs we offer will run off this form if your liability exceeds $25,000. We'll talk about that here in just a second. You will submit this form if you are a wage earner or a self-employed person. So this is for wage earners, employees of others, or self-employed persons. And, and let me kind of be clear about that. What we're typically talking about there is a small business owner, a sole proprietor, for instance, somebody with a smaller or individually owned business. If you're talking about a bigger business, one that is set up, say, as an S-Corp, you'll also have to file or fill out Form 433B up there. That's one document up from the Form 433A on my site there. Um, back to the 433A, though. Um, you, If you owe personal taxes, 1040 taxes, this is the one that you must uh, fill out to ask the IRS really for anything. Now, if your liability exceeds, or, or if your liability is less than, rather, $25,000, so if you owe less than $25,000 individually on taxes, you may not have to turn this, this particular form into the IRS as part of this. That, that typically comes into play for what the IRS calls the IRS Streamlined Installment Agreement. In other words, for liabilities of less than $25,000, they have streamlined type processes, and we'll talk about those in later videos, but um, just know that if you owe less than $25,000, you probably won't have to submit this particular form to the IRS. However, when you deal with a tax professional like myself, um, we go ahead and have all of our clients do these um, Form 433A so we can get a full picture of, of what the financial situation really looks like because there is an opportunity, depending on what your timelines kind of look like, there is an opportunity there to maybe do some strategizing um, in other words, bumping up some allowable expenses, uh, legitimately, of course, um, because nobody ever really thinks about, well, gosh, I wonder if I'm living within uh, my means as the IRS collection arm might uh, think about it. <laughs> so uh, anyway, $25,000 um, is, is kind of the threshold there for what we're looking at. By the way, all these things that we're talking about here today are outlined in my book, Travis Watkins. You can get it at uh, TravisWatkinsBook.com. And what you're doing, what we're doing here, in case you're wondering, is we're going through kind of the broad pictures that, that uh, I've outlined in that book, but we're adding to them, and we're deep diving a little bit more than, than the book has, and ultimately, we're going to be packaging this up for you so that you can see all these things uh, in a book form and at the same time kind of updating all the, the things that, that are in that book. But uh, anyway, TravisWatkinsBook.com is where you can download uh, your own version of that. All right, back to what we're talking about here. Let's click on Form 433A. 
and boom, there it is. This is direct from the IRS's uh, website. Form 433A, this is the collection information statement for wage earners and self-employed individuals. As you can see it was revised there last time September, or excuse me, December of 2012. So this ain't a new form. And before that, the form uh, before 2012, there was one uh, before that. But this is the current form that, that the IRS uses and the current form that uh, we use here as well for consulting with clients uh, as it relates to really the investigative, as we call it, stage of fixing a tax problem when you hire us to take care of your problem. So if you want to hire us, which I think you should, to take care of your tax problem and to talk to the IRS for you so that you don't have to mess with them, uh, you can get a jump on the game here by going to TravisWatkins.com like we just did uh, that resources tab and going on to the Form 433A and trying this out yourself. And hey, look there. Um, these things are fillable forms. I don't know if they save or not. So um, I would certainly save these. If you choose to use these fillable forms, I would uh, use this download button to make sure that you're uh, not losing any of your work kind of there along the way. But um, let's talk real generally here about what the requirements are in that Form 433A. You'll see Section 1, Personal Information, uh, full name of taxpayer and spouse if applicable. So you got to put your full name there as it is on your, um, on your account, or rather on your... Uh, I, I would use my last filed tax return to um, kind of as a guideline in case things may, might have changed since you filed a return, I'd still go ahead and, for purposes of this, um, go ahead and use the last uh, information that you had on your last tax return. But uh, full name of taxpayer and spouse, address, home phone, business phone, cell phone, and business cell phone. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I would uh, turn all those things into the IRS. Um, if you're doing this on your own, um, you'll see actually kind of skipping back here, there is uh, room for your social security number there at the top and your EIN if you have such a thing, if you're employed, you're self-employed. Uh, but driver's license number and state, social security number, they want uh, one for you and for your spouse, even if they uh, don't necessarily owe the IRS. Um, and skipping down to section two, your employment information, they want all of those things, how long you've been there, what their address is for you and your spouse. And people always ask me, you know, well, uh, if my wife doesn't owe the IRS, why do I got to give them this information? And it's complicated, I guess, is the answer. Uh, you may not always have to do that, but for purposes of, of what we're talking about here today, and if you were filling this out for our office, we'd want to know all that information there as well. Um, in a nutshell, what they want to know, obviously, is um, what's your ability and what's your ability as a family um, or as a married couple 
to pay back the taxes that you owe and what the full financial picture there might be. But uh, kind of a little aside there, you may not have to provide this information um, if these are purely one spouse's um, uh, tax problems. So a little bit outside of what we're talking about here today, but for purposes of what we're doing, let's, let's just assume that you need to put your spouse uh, information in there as well. Hey podcast, quick interruption here. Have you been up at 2 a.m. worrying about your IRS problem again lately? You know, IRS problems have a way of ruining all aspects of your life. They take a toll on you financially, physically, and emotionally. You can never really forget about them as they come back every morning when you wake up. It's time to call Travis Watkins tax resolution and accounting firm right now and start sleeping again tonight. Travis Watkins Tax will talk to the IRS for you and help you get the best deal available for your unique situation with the IRS with programs like the Fresh Start Initiative and the IRS's Offer and Compromise. Call me at 833-243-5455 and set up a free 30-minute consultation or log on to watkinspodcast.com. I've got a short letter on that no-frills page. It'll take you about 90 seconds to read. And if you like what I'm saying, you might want to consider becoming a client. And if not, no big deal. Just keep listening and subscribe to this podcast so you can keep hearing the free content that we offer on how you can fix your tax problem today. Now, if you call us in the next 30 minutes, we'll also send you our free confidential insider report, How to End IRS Problems Forever. That number again is 833-243-5455 or log on to watkinspodcast.com. Now back to your podcast. Section three, other financial information. They want to know if you're a party to a lawsuit, uh, where that was filed, if you've got a lawyer, what the docket or case number is, the amount of the suit. What they're talking about here is like if you were a plaintiff, you were suing someone. What they're looking for is, uh, do you have some money coming down the pipe possibly for uh, a lawsuit that you have filed rather than defending uh, sections or, or number seven there under section three, have you ever filed bankruptcy? They want to know when it was filed, when it was dismissed, if there's a discharge, how they can locate the documentation on that. Um, number eight, in the past 10 years, if you've lived outside the United States for six months or longer, we talked about previously when it dealt with the statute of limitations, uh, statute of limitations is not running against the IRS if you've been outside the United States for six months or longer. So they want to know that as well. And hopefully you're getting the picture here that uh, these are pretty intrusive, uh, <laughs> to say the least, types of questions. And it's just going to get worse as we go through this kind of in a broad uh, manner. But that's the deal. When you're asking the IRS to cut you some type of a break when you owe them uh, owe them money, tax money, they are going to want a bunch of information. All right. They want to know if you're a beneficiary of a trust, an estate, or life insurance policy, where that was recorded. Um, they want to know the anticipated amount that you could receive there as a windfall. They're going to want to know if you're a trustee, fiduciary, contributor of a of a trust yourself and the information about that. If you have any safe deposit boxes, if you've transferred any assets for less than their value, <laughs> in other words, uh, fraud, and uh, 
you know, uh, be real careful about what you put in this one if you're doing this one yourself. But again, for purposes of what you'd be doing when you're um, talking to our office about helping us, uh, helping you with your tax problem, we'd want to know these types of things. They want to know in section four, your personal asset information, cash on hand there, number 12, 13. They want to know about your personal bank accounts, plus investments in 14, plus available credit, which, you know, is kind of dicey. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily fill out that portion if I was uh, talking to the IRS on my own because what they're all they're looking for here is, hey, can you put <laughs> some of this money uh, that you owe on a credit card or, or ask a bank to borrow that? And so that's that's pretty intrusive. Do you have uh, any interested life insurance policies with cash value? Um, that's the same situation. They'd want to know if you can borrow uh, any money against your life insurance policy. If you have cash value, again, I'd strongly consider not putting any of that information down there because they're just going to be asking you to borrow. Uh, term life insurance is a different beast. Uh, that could be an allowable expense, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, so they want policy numbers, all those things. They want to know what your real property is, where it is, what it's uh, what it's worth. They want to know um, what you might owe on it. If you've got a bank note, for instance, on it, um, amount of your monthly payments. I mean, these are basically uh, financial stuff that you would fill out if you were, you know, going to buy a car, <laughs> uh, borrow money to buy a car. So. Um, Personal vehicles, they want to know if you've purchased any and, and all the information on that, what the fair market value of that is. People ask me, well, how do I know what the fair market value is? Uh, NADA.com is how you would know. Uh, next section, personal assets. They want to know about certain assets that you have. All right, moving to page four in a very broad sense. This is, this is really the money ball. This is where it all is. This is your classic, really, um, P&L type statement for yourself personally. Left-hand side is income. Right-hand side is expenses. Um, you'll, you'll need to list gross monthly wages, interest, net business income, distributions, pensions, social security, child support, alimony that you receive and other income. And these all have little uh, footnotes to them that you can see right below if you need further explanation on that. Other income is agricultural subsidies, unemployment compensation, gambling income, oil credits, rent subsidies, etc. These again are all monthly uh, things. They want calculated monthly and under footnote one there in section five you'll see that they uh, show you how to Calculate this into a monthly deal if you are paid weekly or bi-weekly or semi-monthly, for, for example. So gross amounts all go there on the left-hand side under income. All right, switching over to the right-hand side, total living expenses. These are things that will be subtracted from the total income. Uh, food, clothing, and miscellaneous. 
You'll need to have uh, some backup there. Housing and utilities, vehicle ownership costs, vehicle operating costs, public transportation. Really all these things, 35 through 39, um, may be um, defined in your region by uh, what they call national standards. But you do have to have kind of in your back pocket there. If challenged by the IRS, you'll need to have some backup to show that you spend at least the amount that the national standards have in there. And we'll go over national standards here at a later time, but giving you kind of the, the broad overview, um, all your expenses are going over in this category. Out-of-pocket healthcare costs, health insurance, that's required now. Uh, Court-ordered payments, child-dependent care, life insurance, current year taxes, those will be subtracted, uh, secured debts, delinquent state or local taxes, other expenses, I love that one, total living expenses, um, the net difference between the left-hand side of income uh, minus the allowed expenses, and by the way, this is this is really what the IRS would tell you is the universe of expenses that they would allow you. Um, our job as tax professionals is to uh, get some other expenses in there that they would accept typically. But in a very broad sense, you take gross monthly minus, uh, or gross monthly income minus actual monthly living expenses, and that gives you a net value of what the IRS considers to be, in a very broad sense, uh, what your collectability uh, is with them on a monthly basis, all right? Um, skipping down here to page five. This is section six and seven. Must be completed if you're self-employed, all right? And what they wanna know essentially uh, is some information about that business or, or what your income uh, and expenses might be for a self-employed person. And they wanna again, again know um, any credit cards that the, accepted by the business, uh, business bank accounts, uh, accounts receivable, uh, business assets, and then a, a very similar se section seven, which is very similar to what we looked at up here for uh, just wage earning individuals. They wanna know uh, what the uh, gross income on a monthly basis from the businesses and its actual monthly expenses. And what shakes out there uh, is, is line 89, the net business uh, income, lines 76 minus uh, line 88. And that would actually, that, that number would end up going into um, line 23 for uh, the individual portion, the net business income uh, goes right there back up into section five. So they kind of work in tandem. If you're self-employed, you got to fill out that portion. I'd start if I'm self-employed, I would start when it comes to the actual uh, money part of, of this form, I would start at section seven there, your gross receipts, your income, um, and when I say your, I mean your businesses, 
uh, interest, dividends, cash receipts, minus all business expenses there on the right-hand column, all right? So um, here's the big takeaway from what we're doing here today. If the net difference on line 50, that's section 5 of what we're looking at, the form 433A, if that number is a positive, in other words, there is money left over when you're talking income minus expenses, that is the least amount that the IRS would accept uh, in some type of relief program or collection alternative, as I like to call them. Um, typically, uh, depending on how much time the IRS has to uh, collect and, and how hard they're coming after you at this moment in time, um, you may be able to strategically, but legitimately, bump up those allowed expenses. Um, you, you can never really take away the income side, that left-hand side of the Form 433A, uh, the, the, the P&L type uh, section there. But the right-hand side, you can legitimately bump those up to um, minimize that net disposable income there every month. Uh, and, and that's the recipe for things like offers and compromise and settlements of different types with the IRS, all right? If you have a hot revenue officer on top of your case, not a hot revenue officer, a, uh, <laughs> a revenue officer that's hot on your trail, I guess just, I should say, um, you may not have a whole lot of time to uh, dig down into this and uh, start strategizing on that. Now, revenue officers are notorious for coming at you with these Form 433s and wanting you to fill them out, or they may help you fill them out. Uh, you always got to beware when the government man's there to help you. But um, those are situations where you probably don't have a lot of time to um, do some strategizing on uh, that right-hand column. But if you do have some time, and that's what I'm in the business to do, which is to slow down these immediate threats from the IRS, and we've got uh, quite a, a few things that we can do to at least slow up the process there, the collection wheels from grinding, then uh, you definitely want to take advantage of, of the time that we are getting for you and to start strategizing with us on how we can legitimately raise those allowable expenses so that there is less net disposable income at the end of every month. All right.